What's up, everybody? Coach Rob here. You know, when you get two guys together who both have been pretty heavily steeped in the ancestral health ketogenic diet world and now have even gravitated more towards a carnivore lifestyle, and you got two guys who both have been very successful in combining more high-intensity training along with their version uh, of a ketogenic or carnivore diet, you might think that it might just create some echo chamber and it might be a little dull because it's just two guys talking about the same damn thing. But I was reminded in this interview with Coach Bronson Dant, or Coach Bronson as he likes to be called, that uh, although we have many similarities, simply not everybody dresses alike. And we had some slight differences, not many, but we both agreed that we could unite in what we do and what we preach and what we espouse and make sure that uh, we get the message out that all of us under this ancestral health umbrella in the hard training world need to always unite and amplify uh, the similarities that we have to be able to give more information out there to help more people because that's what it's all about. This interview lasted roughly an hour because I have no doubt that there's going to be more. There are so many things we could have talked about today, and we even talked about it a little bit off air, how you know we could have poured down several rabbit holes. We could have went a lot deeper on the training aspect of this. And I think another uh, interview is going to be needed in the near future, and we're going to talk a lot about the mental side of all of this and the mental aspects of it. And we can really dig deep into that world as well. So it is my great honor and privilege to uh, bring you this interview that I had with Coach Bronson Dant. Uh, he is the uh, owner of the YouTube channel uh, Ultimate Ketogenic Fitness and also has a book by the same title that you can get on Amazon or his website. All the links will be in the show notes. We had a really, really good time, and I know this is going to be the first of many, so enjoy. All right, here we are. I told you it was coming. I'm really excited about this one. <laughs> and uh, uh, I'm here with Coach Bronson, as he likes to be called, Bronson Dant. And uh, I was really, really excited to have him on my YouTube channel. He has an amazing YouTube channel. This is, we were joking, this is probably just going to be a big echo chamber because we're very similar in beliefs. We're both two, what, 50-something-year-olds that love to train hard, that are really you know, steeped into the ketogenic carnivore communities. But I also think that it's good to reinforce a lot of our beliefs. And it's not just me doing it, you know, in my little, you know, bubble, but you're doing it and you've got stories. You're a coach, you live it, you're in the trenches just like I am. So I think for our viewers out there to hear two guys who have been running this controlled research study in the trenches yeah. day after day with real living human beings, not just some in some lab somewhere. Uh, I think that's going to be very, very special for the people that want to tune into this. So I'm going to stop talking. Uh, why don't you tell the people who may not be familiar with you, who you are, where you come from, because you've got a really cool story. Go. Cool. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on, Robert. I appreciate it. I think like we were saying right before we got started, uh, this is a long time coming. I actually first was introduced to you through Ella like yeah, yeah, four yeah. years ago. You know, and, um, you know, that's where I kind of I started following you. I actually, you know, did a lot, read, read and kind of gone through all your stuff. So we are definitely very similar. And I second what you're saying about reinforcing what we, you know, the things that we're hearing 
not only are we, like you said, both over 50, not only have we been doing this for a while, I think we got almost 40 years. You've been doing this for 20, 30 years. I've been doing right. it for about 10, 12. Uh, we've got a ton of experience with real people, um, but not just real people, but real people doing different things. So, so the idea that what we're doing works across a broad range of needs and requirements and goals and backgrounds and everyone's different, but this all, all this stuff kind of works for everybody. It's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, so I think that's a really cool thing to, to understand that even if you're listening from my perspective, where most of the people I'm working with are obese, stuck on stuck, not being able to move forward. Or if you have someone like a lot of your followers who are really interested in the bodybuilding and growth and, and, and body composition and getting stronger and improving their life that way, there's so many different aspects that people are coming to this from, whether it's health, sport, fitness, quality of life, whatever, that this all can still work for them too. Um, and we have proof of that. You for know? Sure. I yeah. think clinical evidence, what happens in real life with real people, to me is always more impactful than anything in the lab. 100%. I don't care what happens in the lab. What works with real people is what matters. Correct. Um, so my experience, um, how far do we, how far back do we want to go, man? We want to start when I was, Dude, I don't super, care. I'm, this is super your, your fat gig. and out of weight and, and out of, and out of shape. Uh, so my, my journey starts, gosh, 13 years ago, 13, 14 years ago, I was in my late thirties. Um, I was overweight, had a couple things that happened, uh, that kind of made, you know, slapped me in the face, made me wake up and say, Hey, something's got to change. Um, combination of the, the woman I was seeing at the time basically said, I don't mind if you be your over shape. What I don't mind is your mentality and, and your acceptance of being out of shape. I, I want someone, I want to be with somebody who's going to be trying to improve and better themselves. And you seem to be happy with where you are. And I don't know if I can deal with that. So that was kind of like, Oh, wait, am I happy where I am? Do I want to get better? What does that mean? Et cetera. So that started that process. And then. After that, shortly thereafter that, my daughter, we were at the beach. My daughter took a picture of me. And if you go to any, a lot of my content, I don't, I don't have a lot of pictures back from back then because I didn't want to get right. pictures taken of me. Um, and it was subconscious. It wasn't like I was thinking about don't take pictures. It just never happened. Um, but yeah, we went to the beach. My daughter took a picture. I saw the picture and was like, whoa, hold on a second. I got man boobs. I got a gut hanging. Like, what is going on here? And that's really what made me kind of go, okay, something has to change. I need to do something. Um, I was in the military. I thought of myself uh, as that guy that was in shape who could do anything. And I realized I wasn't that guy anymore. And my reality and my perception of reality were not in sync. And I realized something had to change. Either I had to accept where I was, which if I did that, then I'd probably lose my girlfriend and, you know, or I had to change something. And so I decided to change something. And my real big change initially was from a fitness perspective. I'd been active. I'd been working out. At the time, my workouts were more social gatherings and actual workouts. Um, it was more about hanging with the guys and it was actually trying to get some work in and checking the box. Yes, I went to the gym today. Right. Uh, and it wasn't really focused. So um, I started looking into programs, looking into doing some things, didn't know what to do. Uh, shortly thereafter, ended up going on a cruise. Uh, prior to my 40th birthday, it was my first cruise, went on it, met a guy on the cruise who owned a CrossFit gym, um, introduced me to CrossFit. I was like, uh, uh, I was on the elliptical and I saw this dude over in the side of the room with like a 90 pound dumbbell doing one arm, single arm dumbbell snatches. And I'm like, what in the, what is this guy doing? 
And I'm like, I got to talk to this dude. So I'm like, Hey man, what do you know? What is this? I've never seen anybody do this before. And you know, he actually, you know, did some workouts with me and showed me some things. I was like, okay, this stuff is badass. I need to go check this out. So got home from the cruise, joined a CrossFit gym. Uh, and that was, that was pretty much all she wrote. Um, it was on from there. Uh, fell in love with CrossFit, uh, ended up getting certified as a coach. A couple years into that, opened up a gym. Um, and then that was really where the nutrition piece came in. It was after owning a gym. So, you know, I was 240, almost 250 pounds when I first started this thing, got down to like 180, uh, 175, uh, lost about 70 pounds, um, opened up my gym. And then after about a year and a half, two years of owning my gym, I realized I'm back up to like 130, 135. I'm like, what's going on here? I'm supposed to be in shape. I'm a CrossFit gym owner. CrossFit fixes everything, right? Uh, and didn't know what to do. I was pretty much all whole, whole foods at that time. My girlfriend, who is now my wife, uh, we had got married prior to owning the opening of the gym. Uh, she was a nutritionist. So, uh, you know, I got into the whole foods, got into the whole 30 paleo, like everything was clean, but still tons of veggies. Um, right. Realized I had other issues that weren't just weight related. I was, I had gained a lot of the weight back. But I also had, you know, IBS. I also had urgent bowels. I had a ton of other issues that were just taking control of my life. Um, she came home one day and was like, hey, I just heard this podcast about this baker guy, this doctor on Rogan who's just eating meat. And I thought it might be make a good elimination diet for you to see if you can fix some of your IBS and bowels. And uh, I'm like, Okay, let me look into it. There wasn't much at the time. This is or this is May 2018, April 2018. And and like, okay, let me take a look. I found some stuff, found some groups, found some articles, did some research. I was like, all right, doesn't sound too bad. Let me try it. Um, so May 1st, 2018, I just went cold turkey. I just stopped eating veggies, just ate whatever meat we had in the house. Um, and within within a month, I started noticing differences. It was probably three months before I really realized how impactful those differences were. Um, in my performance, in my health, I realized I wasn't worried about bathroom issues anymore. I wasn't, I didn't have the bloating and the gas and, and all the other issues that I was dealing with. And, and I don't want to underplay that as enough. I can't under, understate that enough because it wasn't just that I was gassy. It wasn't just that I had bowel issues. It was literally controlling my life. Um, I could not make a decision. I couldn't take a trip. I couldn't go to work. I couldn't do anything without making sure that I had evacuated or knew where I could evacuate myself if I needed to. It controlled literally everything. I was going four, five, six times a day. Um, it was it was horrendous. It was absolutely horrible. Um, and then I was also known, like everybody knew you did not want to be in an enclosed space with me for longer than an hour because at some point in time, you were going to get gassed out. It was just <laughs> gonna happen. It was, it was, it was bad, man. It was really bad. Um there were trips like in the military. I was in the National Guard. I remember we took one trip where we were in a bus for like four hours. We had to stop two or three times just for me. And that entire time, I'm in the back of the bus with the windows open. Everybody else is in the bus with the windows open because it was just like, sorry, guys, I, I there's nothing. I, there's literally nothing I can do. There's 40 people on this bus are all pissed off at me for four hours. It was bad. Wow. Um, so about three months in, I realized all those issues were gone. Then I also realized, hey, wait a second, my performance is going up. I'm working out, you know, at 
my, you know, mid forties now I'm working out three days a week in a CrossFit gym, doing CrossFit ex- workouts and stuff. I feel good in the workouts, but I felt like crap after the workouts. I could only work out three days a week. If I worked out more than three days a week, I felt like I got hit by a bus. Um, it just was horrible. I had in that span of time while I owned my gym, the two years from owning the gym before I started carnivore, I had two pulled calves, pulled hamstrings a couple times, pulled groin, uh, labrum tears in both my shoulders, meniscus tear in my left knee. Uh, prior to that, I had herniated discs in my neck that I've been dealing with. And all of these things never were improved. They weren't improving. They weren't getting better. They just, every, and my recovery after workouts was horrible. I just felt like crap. Um, three months in carnivore, it was like, what the hell happened? I went from three days a week to five days a week. I could do six days if I really wanted to. And I felt good. It's like, and because of the added volume, because I felt better, everything was improving, right? My conditioning was better. My strength was better. I was setting PRs that I never thought I'd be able to set. I was reaching goals that I'd been trying to hit for years on strength stuff, um, workouts that were benchmark workouts and CrossFit. It's like, I'm trying to do beat these times or do whatever. It's like, I'm finally doing these things. It's like, what the hell is going on? All I did was stop eating veggies. I don't understand this. And that's where I really got digging into and started implementing some of the stuff in my gym with some of my clients and members at the gym, started doing challenges and things like that and started seeing, hey, wait, this is working for them too. Right. Right. And from a CrossFit perspective, that was even more so because you can't do high intensity interval training. You can't do functional fitness. You can't do CrossFit without carbs. What are you talking about? You need carbs to do everything. And realizing that you don't um, was really crazy and digging into how that works and why that works. And even now still learning things about that, you know, four years later um, has been a, an amazing experience. And now being able to take all the stuff I've learned and duplicate that over and over and over and over again with hundreds of people has been super fantastic. So that's kind of what brought me to this, just understanding that current, you know, nutrition, and this is my message now, it's not just nutrition, it's not just fitness. You have to have them both. I talk about this all the time, it is 50-50. If your goal is quality of life, it's 50-50. If you wanna just get big and strong, you can do fitness, I don't care what you eat. If you wanna just get skinny, then you don't have to do fitness, it's what you eat. But if you really want a quality of life that is optimal, for your body's ability to do things and you to experience life, you have to do both of them. Right. Yeah. I often say that it's, uh, you know, I'll say it's not, you, you always heard the term it's, oh, it's, it's 80% diet. And uh, yep. I, I yep. always hate that. And and I use it in a different approach. I say, no, it's a hundred percent nutrition, a hundred percent training, a hundred percent recovery. And I'm not, and I'm not trying to do math here because I know that's 300%. What I'm saying is it's a hundred percent effort. Yeah. It's, and and it's synergy uh, of effort that you have yep. to do. You have to combine these elements. And most people are missing one of those elements. They're missing the training element. They're missing the nutrition element or they're missing the recovery element, which is huge as well. But sure. a quick question for you. Uh, we see this a lot where some people will come into this carnivore world and that are active, that are training hard. They will see a decline initially in their performance, and then it'll kind of start to ramp up over time. Some people, like including uh, Professor Bart Kay, says, oh, it's 20 weeks, you know, that you have to put up with declining performance, and then it starts to come back up. And I've actually seen that with some, and then I've seen people that go 
hard right in, take a hard right right into carnivore and then just immediately crushing it. When I switched from keto or what you would call traditional keto, eating a lot mm -hmm. of animal based foods and plant matter, when I went full carnivore, it was because a, I always felt bloated and gassy, not to your level, but yeah. enough to where it was uncomfortable. Right. And I noticed because I was a physique athlete, I was bodybuilding and it's all about the aesthetic. So I noticed that uh, from a convenience standpoint, meal prepping throughout the day, that oh, it was just oh easier God. just to throw a steak on a skillet or just to scramble oh, yeah. some eggs, not have yep. to deal with the, the vegetable element of that. And then I started to notice something kind of staggering. I was getting leaner and harder and fuller. And I just looked like I was carved out of fucking wood when I switched to carnivore. Because when I would finish a workout, what do guys like me do? You pose, you evaluate how your physique is changing through the course of a prep. And I didn't notice when I dropped to full carnivore, it just started lighting up. And I, I started making these changes right out of the gate. And the, the thing that's surprising about you and I is I, I noticed no decline in performance whatsoever. Now, to be fair, and I'm sure you know this about me, I will do a calculated small amount of carbohydrates sometimes before very strenuous workout sessions. Like, mm -hmm. Uh, it, before a huge leg day or a huge back day or a pull day or something, I might do 18, 20 grams of a calculated carbohydrate 15, 20 minutes before yeah. with some sodium. And that not only helps me uh, power through an extremely hard workout, but back to the aesthetic. It, it, it's a tool. It's a hack. Mm -hmm. Because when I'm standing in front of the mirror after that workout to evaluate my physique as to how it would look in front of a judge, the carbohydrate, that tiny little bit of carbohydrate and that sodium is made me more vascular, made me more separated. Yeah. You know, you get the pump and all this stuff. So when people say, oh, that's that guy that does all these carbs, bullshit. I do a tiny amount. It's yeah. still, you know, the carbohydrate that I take in at the end of the day still only accounts for three to 6% of my total caloric intake for the entire day. But all of a sudden, everybody says I'm just pounding carbs like fucking crazy. Well, but, I think, uh, again, that goes to understanding context and people's diving into things. I thought that about you for a while when I first you know, heard about you, cyclic keto and what I understood about CKD and things like that. I'm like, I don't understand why all this carbs. But then as you get more into it and you understand like, OK, wait a second, that's very different. If you're talking a targeted 20 grams of carbs or something like that, that's very different than what a lot of people do when they cycle carbs and they're dumping 100, 150 grams of carbs oh, in this workout. Yeah. And, you know, I'm trying to do this and replenish and blah, blah, blah. It's like, OK, that's not what we're talking about here. No, that's a and, whole different thing. Yeah, And everybody's going to just assume the worst. And, yeah. you know, and, and again, this is what I was doing. It was bodybuilding. It's an extreme mm -hmm. thing. I mean, if we're talking about ancestral health, yes, if it's just about health and survival and being fit and longevity, you know, that's one thing. But bodybuilders are doing something unnatural and, yeah. and, and they're taking their physique beyond what a normal physique would be in order to compete and yep. be a part of a very small percentage of human beings walking the earth that look like freaking freaks to impress a panel of judges who at yeah. one time were all freaks. So it's, it's a specific thing. And then now that I'm no longer competing, yes, it's the frequency of carbohydrate intake for me has gotten reduced even further. And it's just by feel. Like I, I've yeah. been doing this for so long, there will be days where I know, okay, today's leg day, the workout that I have on tap is horrific. It's going to be brutal. Uh, I'm just not feeling my best right now. I'm going to take in 20 grams of cyclic dextrin 20 minutes before I train.
And you know, as well as I do, at the end of that session, those carbs are gone. They're completely yeah. freaking gone. There's no detrimental effect. There's no net negative side effect from those carbohydrates. And I don't well, go off on that. some, yeah, I don't go on any carb bender right after that. I go right yeah. back to meat, eggs, you know, fish or whatever. So, you know, context, as you said, is everything. But but back to my original question for you as a coach, and I want your insight on this. Mm -hmm. You and I kind of dove into carnivore off keto and had no ill effects. In fact, we kind of improved. Why do some people, in your opinion, have this drop off, sometimes dramatic for a period of time? And would you encourage those people to either do it differently, like when they come into that, or would you tell them just be patient? It's going to come. Yeah. Um, in most cases, be patient. It's going to come. I think, uh, the the state of your current diet and the state of your current metabolic condition are the two driving factors for how that that adaptation happens so if you you could be in great shape but if you're eating like crap then your body's going to take a little bit more time right. um and i i was eating clean so i was i was whole foods 100 whole foods i just had a lot of veggies Right. So there wasn't a lot of carbs necessarily. My issue was more about inflammation and fiber. Fiber. Yeah. Right. So that was the biggest thing. So I didn't necessarily have a keto adaptation as much as I had to a gut adaptation, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Um, so that was a little bit different for me. If I had been, you know, a carb monster going into this, then my adaptation probably would have sucked. And I see it this with sucked. a lot of my clients. Um, you know, hey, I have no energy. I feel the keto flu, all this kind of crap. And I actually explain this in, in there's three different phases. I think a lot of people look at keto adaptation as two phases. We talk about being fat adapted. Then we talk about being keto adapted. Right. And I think there's a third, what I, that I call keto optimized, which I talk about in my book. And that is, you know, starting at the top, we have fat adapted. Your body can now process fatty acids for fuel, whether that's ones that you eat or ones that it pulls from your body. Correct. So this is that adaptation phase where sometimes in some people, ketone, exogenous ketones can be helpful to help improve that process, your body to be able to utilize ketones and, you know, but it hasn't learned really how to break them down yet. So then you get into keto adaptation where your body now says, oh, I know what a ketone is. Now I know how to get these out of fatty acids. So whether it's you're eating butter, whether it's on your body, whatever, your body can now process fatty acids into ketones and allow you to, to be in ketogenesis. So you now are developing the ketogenic system within your body. So that's where fat or keto adaptation comes into play. Then there's another level, which I don't think a lot of people understand. And that is how ketogenesis and gluconeogenesis work together. Correct. And if you are ketogenic, your body's burning fats, you're actually providing your body with substrates that then gluconeogenesis can turn into glycogen when you need it. So, that's where the sports and the athletic piece comes in. So it may take three months. It took me about three months to really start seeing PRs. I didn't see a drop off. I didn't have the keto flu. I didn't get really tired, but I did notice that my exercise, particularly the metabolic conditioning pieces kind of was eh, a little bit like, this isn't where I'm used to being. When it kicked in, when that third level kicked in and my body was like, oh, hey, you need more glycogen. I'm going to get good at providing you glycogen and replenishing your glycogen stores and all that kind of stuff where gluconeogenesis started doing what it needed to do because I wasn't eating stuff to do its job for it. That's when everything kicked in. 
Right. Everything was crazy. It was like, holy crap. My energy is good. My bent, my bent about uh, conditioning, all my Metcons went up. My strength went up. My recovery got better, everything. So um, for most people, um, initial everyday adaptation, seven to 14 days, something like that. I think most people can get into, get into it there where they feel good. They may actually adapt earlier, but where you start to feel good, uh, feel okay with not eating carbs. Um, but from an athletic performance perspective, it's usually about 12, some people 16 weeks yeah. before you really start seeing, okay, now I'm seeing the benefit of this. And that's hard because a lot of athletes are impatient and they get to week six or week eight and they're like, how come nothing's gotten better? This is supposed to be a magic cure for everything. And then they're like, well, I think I need carbs. And I'm like, just, you don't <laughs> ride it out. It's going to, it's going to get better. Trust me. And then week 12, week 13, they're like, holy crap, what happened? Every single time. Number one message from clients. Um, I think I need like some carbs or like a refeed or something because like, yep. you know, my performance is down and it's not that I want them or anything. I just, you know, I think it right. might help me. And I'm like, all right. It's not that phone. I want them. Yeah, yeah. It's not that I want them. I just feel like I need them. <laughs> Yeah. And then we know where that's going to lead. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, but no, I, I agree a hundred percent. And, uh, you know, I, I think that, um, like you said, if somebody's coming from a total shit, super high carb, six, 800 grams of carbs a day, and then you don't right. do a carnivore diet, I think it's going to be devastating on your gut microbiome, your performance at first. That's why I think it's important to wean down. And I usually have my clients that are coming from standard American or whatever, or vegan or whatever that want to go keto carnivore, you know, I'm literally reducing the carbohydrate and vegetable matter a little bit at a time, like 20% here, 20% the next day. And then, you know, we yep. gradually bring them down. And then that seems to make a difference on how they do that. And, uh, and back to the carb gluconeogenesis thing, I think also, and, and, you know, you may disagree and maybe this is just me and what I've found, but mm -hmm. I'm not a big fan, and I don't think you are either. I don't think it's wise to be in long-term ketosis, like constant. You get all these people like measuring ketones. I got to stay in ketosis, got to stay in ketosis. Then you start seeing some negative uh, effects from that. And that's where I think having an adequate level of protein is terribly important, especially when you're active. And I think those little dips uh, out of ketosis and letting that gluconeogenesis occur, letting a small amounts of insulin secretion do its job is critical. Yeah. I kind of do that the same way with that small amount of carbohydrates. That just made logical sense to me. I thought I'm going to, uh, before training, I'm going to take this specific fuel source that I'm only going to utilize for a specific need for a very short period of time. Time, having that influx of carbohydrate matter is going to spare protein in my body to do its job for recovery purposes. And then as I come out of that training element, I'm then going to go back to ketosis, which I always do. I always dip back in. I can, I can feel it now. You know what that feels like now. And then, uh, but you're still going to have those elements where gluconeogenesis is going to dip in and out because of protein intake with a large meal and so forth. So are you kind of on that same uh, bandwagon too, that uh, it's, in other words, what I'm getting at is you see all these people, these dogmatic zealots that are saying it's got to be 70% fat or 80% fat and too much protein will do this and detrimental and it turns to freaking gummy bears and all this stuff. So where do you kind of stand on that division of macros and yeah. gluconeogenesis and small amounts of insulin, especially for active people is actually a good thing? Yeah. So there's a lot to unpeel to start with the 
the long-term ketosis. And I, I agree. I think it's, it's pretty, I think the majority of people who are up to date on what's going on right now in the world and science and how things are working. Um, most of the people I've talked to that I have a lot of respect for many doctors, many scientists, uh, Bart K there's, there's a ton of people that are in the know about a lot of information who all seem to agree that long-term ketosis is not the goal. Um, there, the, even in that group, there are people, there are some who say that you want to be in ketosis, but you should break it every once in a while. Um, and here's my issue with that. Um, my issue is saying is that I totally get that, but the solution for that is two things. Like you said, it's either some carbs or it's protein. And my issue and the, the, the struggle that I've had, cause I had people ask me all the time, you know, so-and-so is a keto person, but they're telling me I have to eat carbs. So the message at the front end is carbs are not essential. You don't need them to be healthy, but then, but you need carbs in order to be healthy. Right. And, and there's, a, it's like, well, ah, what the hell do I do? I don't understand. And I'm addicted to carbs. If I do have some carbs, now I have to fight the mental battle of, well, I need carbs to be healthy, but I don't need them to be healthy, but I'm also addicted. And if I eat them, like it just, it, it, people are just getting all confused. Um, and then on the protein side, there's the idea that protein can do the same thing. And I thought that for a long time in the last year or so, I've been learning more about that. I just did an interview with Dr. Saivas. I did an interview with Bart K where both of them were talking about, it's not protein by itself. There's actually um, more of an understanding now. I'm sure you've heard of GLP one and how sure, that works sure. and GLP one in phase one and phase two response of protein and fat combined is what we really need to get a good insulin response. And Dr. Sivas has clinical data. He's got thousands of people where he purposefully overfed protein and actually muted the insulin response from protein. So if you're getting protein and you're focusing on protein to get that insulin response, it needs to be protein with fat in your meal. So yeah. just yeah. lean protein by itself will lead to a lowered insulin response. So then you're not getting that same benefit from the protein on the insulin, the insulin thing. So we absolutely need insulin every once in a while to break that ketosis. Yep. Um, Bart K I think recommends at least once a day. Um, everyone's, you know, some people say, as long as you do it a couple of times a week, it's whatever, but long-term ketosis, um, if you're low insulin, there's a lot of things hormonally, there's a lot of things electrolyte wise, liver health wise, that having high ketones in the blood is not a good thing. Right. Um, and I, and I, this is, I, I talk about this in my book as well, is if we know, and we have this understanding that glucose is fuel, glycogen is fuel and ketones are fuel. Why would we say that a constant state or a chronic state of high glucose is not healthy, but a constant or chronic state of high ketones is hundred percent. If it's excess fuel, if it's excess things that your body can't do something with, how is that a good thing? Right. So always being in a state of either one or the other, to me, doesn't make sense. So I'm definitely on board of the, we should break ketosis every once in a while. Very good. So uh, how, how do you divide uh, my protein to fat ratio is usually somewhere in the area of uh, 30 to 40% protein and the rest mm -hmm. coming from fat minus the yeah. scant amount that may or may not come from a tiny amount of carbohydrate that day. Some days that, that yeah. number is literally almost zero. 
Some days that's 3%, sometimes that's 6% carbohydrate. But for the most part, I like to be in that 35 to 40% protein range. That seems to be the sweet spot for me and many of my clients. Where do you fall yeah. in line? So I have no idea. Um, and this is what makes me, I think, a little bit different than a lot of people in our space and even just in health and fitness in general is uh, I don't look at calories at all. It's I won't say at all. It's at the, the literally it's the last thing when I'm looking at nutrition recommendations it's because, it's heat, because it's right? heat because it's heat yeah it, it, <laughs> our body we, we don't eat calories right it, it's just it, it, don't nor can you properly food. track calories and people that yeah, say they can't can are lying track them. Can't. nobody knows how many calories you actually burn in a day no it's all just random numbers pulled out of people's butts and everything on a label is you know, as long as it, it can be you can have a 20 percent variance and it right. still be allowed on a label. I mean, there are so yep. many factors at play, the thermic effect of food. There's tons of variables at work here to make it literally almost impossible to truly calculate energy yep. expenditure based on intake and to, to round it down to some mystical measurement of heat, which is not a tangible element to Absolutely. count in, in the first place. So, yeah. Yeah. I actually have a video coming out with, with Bart um, in a couple of weeks where we talk about the difference between heat energy and chemical energy and how that whole thing works. So that should be really good. Outstanding. Um, and it's, it's crazy because again, it's heat. We don't, we don't use heat to, to power ourselves. Right. Um, but so here's the thing. If we understand, if we're making the the ground level uh, assumption that calories don't really mean anything, we can't track them, our body doesn't use them, whatever, then determining our macro goals, determining our nutrition by a ratio of calories doesn't make sense to me. Right. Okay. No, so I, I, agree. I, I, I agree. Yeah. So I don't use calories. I To me, macros is amounts, amounts of food, ear uh, unrelated to each other. Okay. So uh, as our body can't use calories, we can't eat calories at the same time, our bodies have no idea how much protein I'm eating in comparison to how much fat I'm eating. Correct. It just knows I need protein. I need fat. So I just look at the actual amounts of how much a person is eating. And then we evaluate each one individually. A lot of people use um, a sliding scale. It's a sliding lever. If I drop my fat, I have to up my protein. If I up my I drop my protein, I have to up my fat because I'm trying to fit within this mystical calorie number because it has to be a ratio and they're tied to each other. And I untie them when I work with people. Let's disconnect those all together. How much protein do you need in a knob? It's, it's evaluated and adjusted on its own. And how much fat do you need in a knob? It's evaluated and adjusted on its own. And that's how I do it. Um, and I find, I find it, it's much, much easier for people to understand and find a level that's sustainable for them. That allows you whatever that percentage ends up being has no bearing. Now, if you want to know what it is, you can figure out, OK, I'm eating this much. I'm eating this much. My percentage is 63.37. Right. OK, great. But you're not trying to meet a ratio. You're trying to meet a need. And that's very different, I think, in how people actually do it. I, I equate it to going to a mechanic and saying, I need a tune up. And what people do now. And if you think about this, it's kind of like, wait, that doesn't make sense. What people do now is they take their body to the mechanic and they say, hey, I need a tune-up. I need 15% or 20% or 30% gas and 80% oil or vice versa, whatever the percent. They give the percentages to the mechanic. And, he, and, he, and he's going to look at you like, what are you talking about? Your car needs 17 gallons of gas and six quarts of oil. Yep. 
That's how your car works. The percentages of the two don't mean absolutely nothing. And that's how I look at nutrition, if that makes sense. Cool. That makes sense. And I, and I also look at energy intake this kind of the same way you would look at body body fat scales i mean you can step on a scale and it says oh you're 22 percent body fat but are you really i mean sometimes we right. use that just as a gauge to have something to compare something to so yep. Yep. when with the visual inspection is how i do it mm-hmm. visual expe- inspection circumference measurements and if we have the ability to get an accurate body fat percentage taken then so be it but uh I set certain guidelines on macros and percentages uh, as a baseline and then make sweeping adjustments to that as we go. And it's not about the numbers and it's not about the calories that they're taking in. It's about setting that baseline of intake relative to the baseline of output and then making adjustments as the weeks and months go by to figure out where that individual needs to be because everybody's freaking different. If it was all just about absolutely. calories in, calories out, we'd all be in a big mess. Yeah, absolutely. I, lo- I, I like to use the word thresholds for, for both protein and fat. Um, or fuel. So I, I, I talk about, uh, you're very familiar with Ted Naiman and how that stuff works. And, and, you know, we're both very much prioritized protein. I think we're both on yep. the same sheet of music there. Um, but you still need adequate fat and that we can get into a whole nother discussion of the defining what high fat even means. Cause it means eight different things to eight different people. Oh, absolutely. Um, but the, the idea that you, there's a protein threshold on the, on the way down. There is a minimum amount of protein that you need to maintain metabolic health. And finding what that is, is I think one of the goals, right? Okay. I know I need, if for me to feel good in my workouts, have energy, get good sleep, my hormones seem fine. Um, I'm recovering from my exercise. I can do, I'm not feeling worn and worn down and run down. I'm not losing my hair, like all of these different things. Okay, my protein's probably fine. If any of those things are happening, I probably are not happening or are happening. I probably need more protein. And it's always better to go higher in that estimate than lower. Um, and then on the fuel side, you know, what are the things that are that we need for fuel, right? There's hormone stuff, there's energy stuff, there's body fat. Our body has a really good process for uh telling us when we're getting too much fuel. So on the fuel threshold side of things, how much fat can I take in where I feel good? Okay, something happened there. I'll fix that in the edit. We're back. Continue. You were talking about protein threshold yep. and everything and went haywire, and, but now we're back. So please okay, continue. Yeah, so I don't know where it cut off, so I'll just kind of recap a little bit. So yes, please. we have a protein threshold where... We have a minimum we want to try to make sure we're, we're not going below. So we're getting enough protein to maintain metabolic function. And then we have the, the fuel threshold where our body has a really good way of telling us if we're getting too much fuel, we start gaining body fat. So we can track, am I gaining fat with this quantity or am I losing fat? Am I maintaining? Where am I at with it? So we can adjust our, our, our fuel intake individually of our protein intake and say, okay, if I have... 150 grams of fat every day, I lose about half a pound a week. That's a great sustainable amount to lose each week. So so I'm going to stay at 150 pounds. At 150 grams of fat, I don't feel hungry. I have energy throughout the day. I don't feel like I'm starving. I don't feel, you know, any of the detriments of being in a super low deficit. Um, And then, okay, for me, like for me, for instance, I'm 185 pounds, um, I, I like to lose lean mass as the, as a, the shooting point. So 165, 170 pounds of lean mass. Um, I can, I can 
sustain fat loss at about 160, 165. I'm losing fat really slowly each week, just a little right. trend down. Um, if I want to kick it up a little bit, I can be happy with my enjoyment of food and how much I eat at about 145, 150 and not feel like, man, I'm starving or I want a little bit more or have those cravings. Um, if I go to 135, 125, that's where I start getting like, you know, six o'clock right. in the evening, seven o'clock in the evening. I'm like, I want something to snack on. Right. Um, but you don't have to go super low. And that's where I think a lot of people make the mistake is they think, well, in order to lose fat, I have to be at a hundred grams of fat. It's like, no, if your threshold is 170, you could be at 160 and lose fat. It doesn't have to be these giant, everybody wants to go to extremes. Well, I've been high fat, so now I'm going to go high protein. Well, what about all this ground in the middle? Where do you actually need to be to see the changes that you want to make and find that sweet spot where you can be happy, not killing yourself and still see progress? Right, right. And, and it's different for everybody. I've got yeah, dozens exactly. of clients. And if you look at the, you know, for lack of a better term, just because you know, when we talk about energy, when I adjust macros percentages with my clients, it's all over the map. And the adjustments mm -hmm. that we make per the individual don't necessarily correlate to other people it's it's all exactly. over it's all over the map and that's why yeah. these you know there's there's dogma everywhere in the industry but i think the people that are just settled on it's all calories in calories out have definitely are, are missing a huge piece of this and i think that dogmatic view is uh is very damaging because we've learned so much since that mm -hmm. ideology was formulated and so much more comes oh into play yeah and yeah. when people say, was well, it about calories or is it about hormones? I would say, yes, it, you right. know, it's about all of it. We have to find the yeah. sweet spot for you. We have to investigate everything. Yeah. Well, so here's the other thing that I like. I feel like I'm in a space that's already going against the grain from the main the mainstream. But even within this space, sometimes I feel like I'm different. Um, it's not hormones. It's not a hormone problem. It's a hormone stimulation problem. Correct. It's the things that we're doing to our bodies that are the problem. Your hormones are doing what they're supposed to do. You're just telling them to do the wrong things. Right. And that's where I think people get stuck. It's like, well, I need to fix my insulin. No, you don't need to fix your insulin. You need to stop making it be high all the time. Correct. You need to stop pairing insulin with glycogen and start pairing insulin with amino acids. You're going to see a huge change. Right. You have to you find need to the stop doing the, you, you got the, there's things that are making your body. It's garbage in garbage out guys. So if you're telling your, I'm a 20, 25 years in computer and it and it's, if you put the wrong thing in, you're going to get the wrong thing out. And that's what we're doing. That's the problem. Correct. I agree a hundred percent. So do you think that, uh, I, I think there's such, I just did a video called diet wars and mm. I just, I had to get it off my chest. It's just been driving me insane because yeah. you've got the keto community. You've got the carnivore community. You've now got the animal-based community. You've got, okay, well, carnivore was great, but it, now you have to throw in a bunch of fruit and honey, or now you got to do this, or now I have to do that. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. And then there's all this infighting, like everybody, yeah. like you have this group of carnivores that are just went like full ape shit on Saladino and, and the liver King and these guys. And then you've got the keto community going against the carnivores and the carnivores going against the keto community. And then you got vegans fighting everybody. And yeah. it's almost gotten to where I find that the carnivore community is like, almost like the new veganism in, in, in yeah. its zealotry. It's a shame. 
And, you know, so many, we're trying to bring people into this space to heal them, to cure them, mm -hmm. to, to make them better human beings. And I said in my video, I said, it's like, you know, we're trying to coax a squirrel to come eat and nibble out of our hand. We don't want to make any big sudden movements and scare the shit out of them. And that's yeah. what we're doing because somebody may be making a change. Okay. I've gotten rid of seed oils. I've gotten rid of excess sugars. I've gotten rid of uh, all these grains. And uh, I, I'm so I'm now just eating meats and some vegetables and some butter and I'm feeling great. And then you have somebody you just jump in guns a blazing, telling them that they're doing it wrong and you need to nix the vegetables. Or I made the reference the other day. I got into one of these Facebook carnivore groups and yeah. uh, this poor woman was just being accosted because she was drinking coffee, black right. coffee. Yep. Yep. Whether you it's, think drinking coffee is right or wrong, let me go ahead and tell you, if this woman has made a wholesale change in her diet and she's still clinging on to a cup or two of coffee in the morning, yeah. but she's switched everything else over to a carnivore or a ketogenic or an animal-based diet, and we're going to piss her off and scare her away just as she was coming into the fold, mm -hmm. I think that's just utter insanity. Are you seeing yeah. some of the same things? And how do you- Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. People need to get over themselves. Uh, we live in a society where, and unfortunately, we see it everywhere today. If you're not like me, you're wrong. Yeah. And uh, uh, the idea that uh, there's we could get, we could probably get into a whole societal conversation, but uh, oh, we could go stay, deep on this. Yeah. That. yeah. Um, the goal is health. Yes everybody's path to that is going to be different to make the assumption that everybody is going to do things the same way is um, idiotic. It's just, it, it, there's no possible way that everyone can take the same path to get to the same place because we're all starting from somewhere different. And it's, it, I mean, that mindset is, is basically saying that, you know, if everyone had to do everything the same way, why do we have different styles of clothing? Why do we have different styles of homes? Why do we have different styles of cars? If we're all the same, then we would all like the same things. We would all do the same things. We would all buy the same things. Everyone would be exactly the same. It's not freaking possible. So the idea, and I agree with you, we're trying it. Here's the thing. Some of us are trying to bring other people in. Correct. And some Most of us of are us, trying to get likes and follows and it's all marketing. It's a right. stick. It's a persona trying exactly. to pull people in to buy your product, to, to, to subscribe to your channel, to like, to follow, to buy, to consume. And they're losing sight right. of what the big picture is. I would rather yeah. be right and say, listen, I admitting fault is another great th thing that people in our space have got mm -hmm. to learn how to deal with because this is an evolving ecosystem. So, I will be the first one to say, hey, listen, you know what I said in that video three months ago? Well, I fuck, I fuck that all up. And, and yep. here's why. Or here's an element of that that I had wrong. And here's how I would advise correcting that. And here's why. Because yep. we're, we're in this space to help people. And I know you're sincere about it. It's dripping off of you. And I, I appreciate about that about you. And I get so irritated with people who are just trying to achieve some fame in this internet space to get likes, follows, and clicks. Yeah. I'll go back to Paul Saladino and you tell me if I'm crazy or not, but I think a lot of his switch over to the whole fruit and honey thing and whatever, 
I think he was being diluted in the carnivore world. He found a way to uh, market himself a different way. He was able to grab animal based, which is mm-hmm. you know, his word now for carnivore plus fruit and honey. Yep. Wrap that up and put a shiny bow around it and market himself as I'm the guy. I'm the yeah. guy that does that. Not yeah. this guy, this guy, this guy, not we're all collectively doing this. I'm that guy. And he found a niche. Liver King mm-hmm. is nothing but a freaking sideshow side act. It, it's mm-hmm. a, it's, hey, the guy is jacked. The guy is super fit. He's very good at what he does. He's an actor. Yeah. He's playing yep. a role and he's making millions every single year off of that. And whether he's being sincere or not, I don't believe he is. But, uh, you know, he is playing a role. Is he always going to do what he feels is in the benefit of the people? Or is he going to do primarily first what's going to benefit his bottom line? And I I think because of this world we live in now, where the number one career choice for 2022 for young people is social media influencer now. I never thought I'd see the day where that was like number one, you know? <laughs> so everybody is like scrambling, you know, the, like it's like the gun went off at the marathon, the the tape is broken and everybody's yep. running as fast as they can to try to achieve this level of fame. And we're getting to the point where we'll say anything that makes us even re- remotely unique to yep. put a special stamp on us to bring people and likes and follows. And that's at the detriment of the people who are trying to learn from us to be better and improve their health. Sure. Sure. Yeah, I totally agree that there's definitely. And here's the thing is it's going to happen in any industry. Um, and I try to look at the positives. Okay. Do I agree with all this stuff? No. Do I think that they're genuine? No. Do I think that they're really uh, out there just to sell a product? Absolutely. Um, and there's, it's not just those two, there's other people that are in this space as well. And there's people that I think that do, maybe have started, you see, uh, this used to be, so I grew up in a very religious household and I used to see this in Christian music, right? You see people come into Christian music as Christian artists and then 10 years into their career, all of a sudden they're being sold and they're doing concerts that aren't, they're secular. Right. And it's like, wait a second. I thought you were a Christian band. They found their way. No, we, we never really were. We just got enough of our, our, our fame and money and whatever we needed to do to make the jump to where we really wanted to be. And it's like, Okay. So I kind of see that similar thing happening. Um, people who are changing their brand to be what they really want it to be or what they think is going to be more effective um, because their initial message wasn't. Um, and then there are people who I think have had a good message and wanted to do some good things who have been kind of swayed into, well, wait, I can make a lot of money doing this. And then they become more salesmen and influencers than they do um, coaches or people right. that are actually trying to impact. Um, so I, there's all different levels to it. I think the, the thing that I try to do, I try to stay as positive about the whole process as possible and focus on the fact that, look, I don't agree. I think that whatever their motives are, number one, it's not me, it's not my competition, it's not what I'm doing, it doesn't affect anything that I do. So Absolutely. I really don't fucking care, Yep. right? Number two, um, I can only affect the people that I can affect. So I'm going to focus on doing my best to impact the people I can. And number three, on the outside fringes of this whole thing, they're helping somebody in some level. So even if it's just getting them exposed to what carnivore is, to what fitness is and everything else, it get, if, it, if it introduces these concepts to people that may not have heard it before, that's a bonus. 
hundred percent. Yeah. Maybe through that chain, maybe they can find me. Maybe they can find you. Maybe they can find someone that's actually going to want to help them. But the more they, the bigger they get, then I just look at that as maybe that's more of a, an entry level, an entry point for more people to get into and understand what this, what this is all about. So, Oh, I, I agree hundred percent. Yeah. If yeah, somebody, if somebody comes into this space, in, in other words, if, Someone, if Debbie was following a standard American diet, was metabolically broken, was 80 pounds overweight, and she, something about Paul Saladino resonated with her, and she went from her lifestyle to eating meat, eggs, organs, fruit, and honey, she's still going to be way better off than if she'd stayed where she's at. And I have no argument with that. I don't have a fight with that. It's when all of these influencers come together and start beating the piss out of each other saying, no, you're wrong. And that's wrong. And this is wrong. And that's wrong. And, you know, I, I have a little bit of a problem with the carnivores that say it's meat, water, and salt, pal. And anything beyond that, we're going to tear up your card. You're going to be excommunicated, excommunicated from the community and you're a freaking idiot. And I think that's lunacy. I think that's freaking lunacy because if you can be, if you can sustain that more power to you, I I think it's great. Continue to Mm -hmm. do what you're doing. You know, Michaela Peterson, great example. I mean, that poor girl, if she deviates from that, she's a train wreck. So I get it. But, you know, I eat primarily meats, but I also eat, I got attacked for eating chicken for Christ's sake. You know, you're not carnivore. It's not a ruminant. It's poultry is not a ruminant and it contains inflammatory blah, blah. You know, I'm like, dude, chill. You know, I'm 54 years old. You know, I, I, my blood markers are perfect. I feel fantastic. I sleep like a baby and yeah, I eat chicken and I drink a cup of coffee in the morning back to fuck off. Okay. Because what I'm doing, what you say, coach Bronson, what you say in your videos, in your book, everything that you say, when somebody hires you, guess what they're going to get the same damn thing. You're just going to bring them to a higher level. So mm-hmm. what you're saying on your YouTube channel, what you're saying in your social media, what you're saying, if somebody buys your book on Amazon, I'll put the link in here. What they're going to get is just an amplified version of that. You're sincere in what you do. When somebody watches my YouTube videos or listens to my podcast, and then they hire me as a coach, they're not going to all of a sudden say, well, this is sure as hell different than what he was saying when I, on those nine podcasts that I listened to, or what he said on YouTube, it's just going to be an amplified version of what I said. And I'm going to work with you individually and take it down to your unique level of your genetic makeup. And so, you know, that's, that's what we're doing. So it's the sincerity of it. It's the people that are just trying to make passive income off likes and follows and subscriptions and cookie cutter products and supplements. Yeah, I do have a problem with it, but at the same time, as long as the overwhelming majority of what they're doing is going to be helpful from, you know, that metabolically deranged person that you see driving a cart through Walmart, then, then so be it. So it is kind of a slippery slope, but uh, I think, I think the infighting is a little bit insane. And it used to be, how do you know if somebody's a vegan? Don't worry. They'll tell you. And no offense. It used to always be, how do you know if somebody's a CrossFitter? Don't worry. They'll tell you. And, uh, but now it's getting to where it's, oh, do you want to know if somebody's a carnivore? Oh, don't worry. They'll tell you. you. Absolutely. I I never want to be lumped in with those people. Yeah. I think, and, and it's hard because when something works, people get excited about it. They want to buy into it. They want to feel community. So the only way you can really feel as being part of community is if you start building your identity around that thing. And that's the problem. Instead of people identifying with, I'm improving my life. 
and the, what the goal is and what the journey is about, they're identifying with the tool that they're using and right. understanding, understanding that the tool that they're using, number one, isn't going to work for everybody. And number two, at some point they're going to need to change tools. And oh, that's sure. where most of my business and most of my following and most of my clients come from. 90% or more of my clientele have bought into a version of the tool and then realized it didn't do for them what they wanted it to do. And then they're stuck. What do I do now? I've been keto for five years and I'm still not where I want to be. I've been carnivore for two years. I'm still not where I want to be. What? I, well, I don't know how to fix this. So that's where they come to me and say, okay, what do I do? And then we say, okay, well, here's where you're at, what you need to do and how we fix it. Um, because they, they realize there is no, there is no single solution and you can't identify with the tool. You have to identify with where you're going. Right. And anybody that yells at anybody, I find it, I'm the same as you, man. I find it really hard sometimes in these groups to keep my mouth shut and be like, guys, just back the fuck off. Like, well, there's, there's an advantage to being a grump, there's an advantage to being grumpy old men. We can get away with <laughs> a little bit more than these young kids, you know, it's, um, it's really hard. Absolutely. So, okay. You and I are strangers. We get into an elevator together and it just somehow pops up that you're on a carnivore diet. We're going to the 30th floor in that amount of time. Tell me what a carnivore diet means to you. Yeah. Um, the reason, I, so I'm I, the reason I only eat. I don't eat veggies uh, personally because, um, in my experience, vegetables have caused me more problems than not, and I have had a better quality of life from the time that I stopped eating them to any amount of time I had before when I was eating them, and that's probably the number one thing is everything that I've tried to do from a physical freedom perspective has improved the moment I stopped eating veggies. Okay. And so I'm, I'm that's still, what that, it means to me. I'm still that same stranger. And then I yep. say to you, Oh, well that's cool. But uh, so I heard that all you eat is steak, ribeyes and water. Is that true? Yeah, no, no, actually. So carnivore for me, if I were to say like what I eat and how I d define carnivore, it's, if it came from, if it had a mother, I eat it. That's pretty much how I look at it. I don't, I don't really focus on, um, much more than what am I in the mood? What kind of meat am I in the mood for today? So I eat mostly, if I had to choose what I ate, I probably eat lamb, eggs, and butter as 80% of my meals on, on most occasions. That sounds wonderful. <laughs> it's amazing, right? Uh, so I do steaks every once in a while. Filet is my biggest, my favorite cut. Um, I do shrimp. I like fish. I do chicken every once in a while. Most of the I, I commented on your egg and shrimp Instagram post. I commented. Yeah. I, I do that all the time. All <laughs> the time. It's fantastic. It's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Um, I like uh, we do. We found, you know, we found some clean uh, deli cuts of turkey and chicken. So I do. I do that sometimes. I like yep. I do mayonnaise. Oh, my God. I do mayonnaise. I do oh, avocado mayonnaise. you're out of the club. Right. You're out of the club. Um, so we do pork. So uh, I like to I like tuna salad, egg salad or pulled pork salad. That so I do like pulled pork. We do a lot of pulled pork in the crock pot that we put in the fridge, let it cool down. So it's cold. And then I mix in some, some, some like grated cheese, some seasoning, some salt, and then some mayonnaise with a little bit of Dijon mustard. Mix that all up. It's freaking amazing. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's kind of what I do as far as what I eat. It's, it's 95% animal based with yeah. some avocado and, you know, mayonnaise and mustard. Do you ever do any carbohydrate or any fruit or anything like that? 
Never. Whatever comes in my eggs or okay. if I have cheese, cheese, it might have some in it. That's about it. Yeah. But about the only thing I do is, is the aforementioned tiny amount of structured before a hard training session or literally a handful. And I mean, I'm saying a tiny amount of like yeah. bl blueberries and some full fat organic Greek yogurt. That's about as crazy as yeah. I get. And from a fitness, from an exercise perspective, I've actually found that, um, up, up, up dosing my sodium intake prior to a workout has made the most difference. Oh, for sure. Um, no, I pound so sodium before thing. a workout. Yeah. Yeah. That's the biggest, that's the biggest thing I've noticed is I can it's the same thing. and just jam it. Right. If you're a physique competitor and for people that have never competed or not in the sport of bodybuilding wouldn't know this, but when a physique competitor is about to take the stage and present their physique to the judges, yeah. the best way to present that physique is you've depleted glycogen from your physique for the, over the course of weeks dramatically. And many bodybuilders go into ketosis in the final weeks and don't even know it. And then right before you go on stage, you do a structured carb load and sodium load. And that just blows the muscle bellies up and brings the vascularity and makes your skin look like saran wrap wrapped around the muscle. So, you know, it's a tool. And I think pounding sodium with a little bit of carbohydrate matter for me, uh, 15, 20 minutes before a workout is just like uh, nitrous. It's, it's, yeah. it's a super hack. Uh, or, but the thing is, is back to what we've been talking about this whole interview is it's individualized. Also, I have clients where if I'd give them a fucking rice cake, they'd blow up. It would just yeah. com completely fall apart. So I have some that are doing black coffee, MCT oil and sodium 15 mm -hmm. minutes before workout and feel like they're a superhero when they right. do that. Yeah. So it's different for everybody. It's funny how the same people that attack me for sprinkling in a tiny amount of carbohydrate before a workout also freak out when I tell them that I'm a fan of MCT oil, C8 MCT oil, always have been. I've been doing C8 MCT oil since the 90s when mm. nobody knew what a fucking keto diet was. We did it because bodybuilders as they were dieting for a show would be so carb depleted that they didn't have the energy they needed to do hard bodybuilding workouts. Mm. So this amazing coach in Cincinnati, a guy named John Perillo, started manufacturing pure C8 MCT oil called Captri for caprylic triglyceride. Mm -hmm. And all these bodybuilders were doing, you know, shots of C8 MCT oil before they'd go to the gym when they were in a depleted state, you know, two, three, four weeks out from competition to make up some calories and to give them some usable energy for their training. I've mm -hmm. used that philosophy for nearly 30 years. And it's always yeah. worked well for me. I, I can't catch a break anywhere. If I had a fucking rice cake before I deadlift, you know, I've completely screwed up and I need to be, need to be excommunicated. Okay. Right. But then if I have a shot of MCT oil in my coffee at 5am before I start training my clients, I'm going to be excommunicated and I'm a fucking idiot. So you can't win right. with these people. So I just tune out the noise and I do what I do. And if you yep. like what I do, come on board, be part of my Island of Misfit toys. If not, you know, we'll still be friends. You can find somebody else. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry yeah, about the I, rant. <laughs> no, 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 that's fine. I, I do it all the time, man. Uh, for me, it's sodium. Like I notice drastically if I don't get enough sodium in before a workout element all day. Uh, all day, um, man. 
Uh, did you start, did you try the new? Did you get it? The new um, the chocolate, chocolate medley. The, oh. the chocolate, yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, that. Oh yeah, dude. That chocolate caramel. Oh, there it is. Yep. <laughs> it's the there shit. <laughs> it's the shit. Oh, um, I put it in coffee. Oh, oh god. <laughs> um, if I don't get enough sodium prior to a workout, I just feel flat. I like, too. Energy yeah. is usually okay. I feel okay, but afterwards, now I'm not a physique competitor. I don't do bodybuilding. Right. Um, my current goals, I'm much more functional. Although the last year or so I have been focused on trying to gain lean mass. So I've been doing, and if you go to my YouTube channel, I have a, a playlist called no carb athlete where over seven or seven or so months, I just focused on maintaining lean, lean maintaining my body fat while gaining lean mass. So I was able to do that over a six month period. I gained five or six pounds of muscle and didn't gain a single pound of fat. Um, so I'm still going through that process. I'm trying to reach a certain goal of skeletal muscle mass. Um, but, but I do like to, I'm dating a bodybuilder I'm dating a competitive bodybuilder and she, you know, she's in there posing and I get in there and pose with her and we do stuff and it's after workout. It's kind of fun. Sure. Yeah. Um, but being able to see the difference, I look flat if I don't get enough sodium mm-hmm. at the end of a workout. When I get, when I use sodium, I get the end of the workout. I'm like, holy crap, maybe I should get on stage. And she was like, yeah, you should do it. I'm like, no, I'm not doing it. <laughs> no, I'm not going to do it. Uh, I have no desire to get on stage at all. Um, but yeah, you know, back in the nineties, we used to, we used to crazy. drop bullion. We back in the nineties, we used to drop two or three bullion cubes into some hot water. We'd literally put a coffee mug into a microwave for like three yeah. minutes and take three of those shitty bullion cubes, chicken bullion yep. cubes, throw it in there and just tomahawk that before we went and lifted. And uh, yeah. Yeah. Insane. Have you read, have you read D Nicolantonio's book, Win? I have it. No. Okay. Get it. If you haven't, it's basically a electrolyte guide to sports performance. Oh, outstanding. It's all, it's all of the things he basically it's broken up into each chapter is like a concept that he discusses how electrolytes impact X, Y, or Z with a whole full explanation. And then all the studies that he's referencing and each cool. chapter is like, like a different thing. So he talks about performance. He talks about blood volume. He talks about energy transfer. Like there's a bunch of stuff. And, and one of his recommendations, I'm still quite not wrapping my head around it. One of his recommendations is that before, um, intense activity, you should slam three to four grams of sodium an hour before in a liter of water an hour before exercise. (laughs) I'm like, dude, that is so much sodium. Grams? (laughs) Grams. All right. (laughs) So I've been, I've gotten up to about two, like I'll do, I'll slam, uh, in a, in a, in like a shaker, a shaker cup, I'll slam like two elements before an hour before. Yeah. And that's enough for me. I can't imagine three or four. Yeah, that's correct. I, I do two elements before I train and I do yeah. an element in my coffee at like 5 a.m. with my first mm-hmm. client. So, yeah, I, I'd try it. You know, us, yeah, us old bodybuilders, we're all insane anyway. Well, yeah. oh, I'll yeah. try that. Uh, you know, I mean, the supplements that we used to consume back in the 90s were like the equivalent of gasoline and sand. I mean, it was just fucking horrible, but we yep. didn't give a shit. We heard it would make us strong and big. So exactly. <laughs> it came in like dog food bags. And so we would pound that stuff. So I'm not opposed to just down in a little extra sodium, but I'll give it a right. word. That's, that's interesting though. Seriously, that's interesting. Um, Okay. So we've talked about your story, which is great. Mm-hmm. We've talked about what carnivore means to you, why you came off vegetable matter. Yep. Now, you know, my listeners will want to know this tell us about your training. Is it all just like 
full body CrossFit wads? Is it, uh, do you throw in any split workouts like bodybuilding style or just hypertrophy driven workouts? What does a week look like in your workout split? Yeah. So I've in, I've been in the process of finding a new normal, um, pre COVID, uh, literally four months before lockdowns, I sold my gym. So I sold my gym right towards the end of 2019. Uh, during all the lockdowns, I had nothing, you know, I did some stuff at home. I got as much equipment as I could. I did high intensity interval training, CrossFit styles trainings out of my apartment. Um, when things opened up again, I started coaching again at another local gym, did that for a while. Um, but it, it just, I needed something different. I've been doing it for over 10 years. I needed to change. So, um, I got more into powerlifting, did a lot more stuff for about a year of just focusing on getting as strong as I possibly could. Um, and then it's probably been a little over a year, probably September of last year, um, August, September of last year, I decided that I wanted to just see how much muscle I could build. What can I do from a, not just aesthetic perspective, but like, I just, how much can I build? Like I'm, I've never actually just tried to build muscle right. and maintain, and maintain you know, that maintenance. So I started the process, um, Got a couple, I think I used your program for like three or four months. Um, followed that for a while. Uh, uh, changed into some other stuff, played around with different things, tried to find something to fit my schedule routine, whatever. So I've been kind of in the bodybuilding space for a little over a year. Great. Um, currently what I'm doing, um, I met Frederick Hahn. I don't know if you know Fred Hahn. Oh yeah, absolutely. So I met Fred Hahn last earlier this year when we both spoke on the low carb, the low carb cruise, mm-hmm. um, was introduced to him started looking more into hit, um, and trying to understand that a little bit and trying to play around with what I'm trying to do in other things. So about a month, two months ago, about two months ago, I started back up. I used to do it all the time. I've done it in 15 years. I started training BJJ again. So fitting BJJ into my lifting and trying to build a mass, was just trying to, how am I going to make all this work? So currently, this is where I'm at currently. Currently I'm doing um, basically a upper lower split twice a week, but it's not in a seven day period. It's, well, for example, let's say I start Monday, I'm doing a lower body split Monday, then I do BJJ, then I do upper body split, then I do BJJ, then I take a day off. Okay. And then I do upper body, and then lower body. So I'm alternating. So I'm getting like every three, every three days or every four days, I'm getting a repeat of what I just did. Got it. Yeah. Right. So if that makes any sense, I don't sure. know if I explained yeah. that the right way, but so Perfect. I'll do, yeah. So I'll do legs a day or like lower a day upper and then lower a day upper, but there's enough of a space in between. So there's never more than a four day gap right, in between each one. Okay, cool. Um, with that, the programming that I'm doing, I've taken a little bit of hit and a little bit of like traditional bodybuilding. So I'm mixing in and I'm playing around with this because I've never done this before. So I'm playing around with what makes sense. Um, I'm doing smaller sets, smaller groups of sets. So I used to do, I'm, I'm an old conjugate guy. So mm-hmm. I used to love doing, you know, dynamic stuff. It'd be eight sets of two or three reps at a moderate weight as fast as possible, or do something super heavy, right? For eight or 10 sets of one or two, right? You know what I mean? Like I, yeah, I, I yeah. love doing that kind of stuff. 
Um, so this is different for me. I hate, I'll be honest with you. I hate if it's over six reps, I'm miserable. I hate that kind of stuff. Oh, so I get traditional, it. Yeah. traditional hypertrophy stuff is just like, ah, I hate doing it. Like my girlfriend, Natalie, uh, who I need to get you guys hooked up. So I don't know if you know the keto bikini pro, she's been a keto bodybuilder for years. Awesome. Um, yeah. She's in BW. She actually has a competition in two weeks. Cool. Um, but she's doing a, her, her coach has her doing like 30 rep sets, supersets and stuff right now. And she's like, I hate my life. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I've been so I'm there. Like, I will never do that. I will never do 30 rep sets. But um, so now I'm doing like, I'll do a three or four set. Like, let's say I'm doing incline bench press. I'll do uh, uh, two warm up sets, working up to a working weight. Then I'll do one set at like the next level up of max reps. And then I'll do drop down to the first weight that I did and then do another max reps. Got it. And then I'm done. Like and that's it. what I do. So I do that for my main lifts and then I'll do some accessory stuff and things like that for volume. But that's kind of how I'm, that's kind of what I'm doing right now. Outstanding. Well, I think we've covered coach Bronson episode one. I hope, <laughs> yeah, we, I hope we can do this again. Yeah, for sure. Um, I don't want to take this too long. I think this has been perfect. Um, I'm so honored to have you on the show. Hey, I'm, I've been looking forward to it, man. I appreciate it. Um, where can people find you? Um, it, just Google ultimate ketogenic fitness and most of my stuff should pop up. So my website is ultimateketogenicfitness.com. My YouTube channel is the same. Uh, my book is the same. If you go to Amazon, it's the right. ultimate ketogenic fitness book. Uh, and then on Instagram, if you want to follow me on Instagram, it's coach underscore Bronson underscore keto. I will put it all in the show notes and make sure everybody knows exactly where to go. Cool, man. Coach, Coach Bronson has been an absolute honor and privilege. This was a lot of freaking fun. Yeah. And uh, I hope you'll do me the honor of doing this again sometime. Yeah, I'm totally down, man. We still got it. We haven't even talked about mindset stuff and There's what it so, takes to actually I know. stick I was just with thinking about and that. make it happen. I thought if we keep going, this is going to be three hours. Yeah. And uh, so let's get together again soon and let's go down that rabbit hole because I think that's going to be really, really cool. If, if, sure. you, if you would honor me to do that. Absolutely, man. All right, brother. I'm going to let you go. Let's stay in touch. And um, thank you for being here. I know the listeners are going to love it. And until next time, man, uh, keep on keeping on. I think what you're doing is fucking awesome. Hey, same for you, man. Keep it up. All right, brother.